This episode contains sensitive material. The content may not be suitable for children. In the spring, when kings normally go to battle, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David tarried still at Jerusalem. One evening, King David got up from his bed and walked on the roof of his palace. He saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. He inquired about the woman, and his men told him who it was, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David sent his men to fetch her, and he lay with her. Bathsheba soon let King David know that she was pregnant. David sent to Joab to have Uriah come back from the field. David schemed so that Uriah would sleep with his wife, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house instead. Frustrated that his machinations weren't working, David did the unthinkable. He sent Uriah back to Joab with a letter in his hand, ordering him to put Uriah at the forefront of the hottest part of the battle and then retreat from him to let him die. When Joab informed David that Uriah had been killed, David, after a period of mourning, sent for Bathsheba, and she became his wife. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Welcome to the Through the Psalms podcast. I apologize for not getting an episode out in June. It's been very busy, and so... Uh, but thankfully today I had some time to, uh, get this episode out. And so, um, I just kind of record these as I'm able to, um, but in this episode, we are going to be discussing Psalm 38. And as you can probably tell from the introduction, this Psalm deals with the sin of David. Psalm 38 is a penitential psalm or a psalm of confession. And if you remember from previous episodes, there are seven uh, psalms of confession or seven penitential psalms in the Psalter. Uh, Along with this Psalm 38, the other ones are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. With Psalm 51 probably, probably being the the best known of those. Uh, Some might classify this as a lament psalm as well. This is a psalm of David, and the superscription reads, to bring to remembrance. That is the same superscription as found in Psalm 70. The outline for this psalm is as follows. Verses 1 and 2, David's plea for mercy. Verses 3 through 14, David's pronouncement of his suffering. Verses 15 through 20, David's prayer of confession and trust. And verses 21 through 22, David's petition for help and deliverance. The occasion for this psalm is most likely after David had sinned with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed as we just discussed a few moments ago. Okay, let's go ahead and read Psalm 38, and then we'll discuss it. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. 
For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. David starts out in this psalm of confession with a prayer for mercy. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath or in thy anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. David is pleading with God for mercy here. Uh, He knows that he sinned. Think about his guilty conscience. Think about how he felt. He had committed adultery and he had murdered someone that was loyal to him, a loyal member of the army. And his conscience has to be bothering him. He's probably having trouble sleeping. Uh, He feels very guilty. And so he's crying out to God. Uh, He knows that he deserves punishment, but he's asking for mercy. He's asking that God would not rebuke him or punish punish him in his anger uh, or in his wrath. And so, in this respect, David is wise to seek the mercy of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says, As your love is most sweet to my heart, so your displeasure is most cutting to my conscience. True, my sins might well inflame you, but let your mercy and long-suffering quench the glowing coals of your wrath. I think in our day and age, in our modern day, I think sometimes we skip this step of confession. Um, sometimes we just have a habit of ignoring sin. In fact, in our modern day, we don't even like to use the word sin. We don't even like to acknowledge that there is such a thing. But in order to be forgiven and to 
be restored to God. We have to recognize our sin, confess it, acknowledge it, and ask God's forgiveness. And David, you know, he he did this. He recognized that he had sinned, and now he's going to the Lord and seeking his mercy. By the way, if you hear explosions in the background, those are fireworks. I'm recording this on the night before the 4th of July, so they're setting off fireworks uh, where I live. So that may be what you hear in the background. But uh, David uh, here seeks God's mercy, and he um, recognizes his guilt and his shame here. I want to read to you a quote from the Bible commentator uh, Warren Worsby. He says, David suffered from sickness because of his sin. He carried a heavy burden and was crushed under it. He sighed and panted and was ready to quit. Sin comes as a friend to entice you and then becomes a master to enslave you. Sin puts a wall between you and those who can help you, but it builds a bridge between you and those who want to exploit you and hurt you. The only hope is to confess sin and cry out to God for mercy. He promises to forgive, so claim his promise. And that's true. And that's what David was dealing with. You know, he mentions God's arrows in verse 2, that they stick fast in him, and that he mentioned his hand pressing him sore. I believe here that he's referring to conviction. God is convicting him of his sin. Uh, These arrows are, you know, God pointing out his sin to him and uh, could be referring to his guilty conscience. And God's hand is squeezing David. The pressure is mounting. And for a while, David got away. He thought he had gotten away with it and he was enjoying the pleasures of his sin. But now the consequences are coming to bear and he's feeling the pressure of God's hand upon him. God is dealing with him. Now, as bad as David's sin was, this is evidence that that David was a believer. Um, If we can sin and we don't feel guilty about it and we don't feel conviction and it doesn't bother us, that's a sign that we don't know the Lord. But if we sin and, and God convicts us and we feel guilty and we hate our sin, that's a sign that we're a child of God, that we know him because our our sin bothers us. And that's the boat that David was in. His sin was beginning to bother him. Spurgeon says, the Lord knows how to shoot so that his bolts not only strike but stick. It seems strange that the Lord should shoot at his own beloved ones, But in truth, he shoots at their sins rather than them. And those who feel his sin-killing shafts in this life shall not be slain with his hot thunderbolts in the next world. So God is dealing with David and he is pricking his conscience and he is convicting him and squeezing him. And David feels it. There's an old saying that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. 
And that is so true. Do you think when David initially saw Bathsheba, when he was walking out on the the roof, do you think he expected that to happen? Uh, He had no idea what was going to happen. He had no idea that he was going to see Bathsheba that night. Uh, He was going for a walk on his roof. Um, And then even after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, do you think that David ever imagined that he would murder someone? Uh, he probably, that that was probably the last thing on his mind. He never imagined that. But why did he do that? Because sin takes us farther than we want to go. It gets us into situations where we do things that we never thought we would do. And then it keeps us longer than we want to stay. We can't just sin and then get out of it without any consequences. We're stuck in a net and we want to get out, but the consequences ensnare us and then we're stuck. Just like a fish bites that bait and he and he's hooked with that hook uh, and he can't get off that hook. He's uh, ensnared. Uh, that's the same way with us and sin. Uh, we think that we can play with it and then leave it and go on our merry way, but we get trapped and stuck in it. <clears throat> So it keeps us longer than we want to stay. That's definitely the case here with David. Uh, This turned into uh, 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 several months, uh, uh, several months of a of a nightmare uh, scenario in his life. Uh, So he thought he would just have one night of pleasure, and it just turned into uh, a long time of sorrow and grief in his life uh, that lasted several months. And so it kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And then it cost him more than he wanted to pay. Uh, it cost him his health. It cost him his peace of mind. Uh, it, in, a, in the end, it would cost him uh, dearly. Uh, things would happen uh, with his family that would, would cause him much grief. And so it cost him more than he wanted to pay. And so that's such a true statement, and we see it illustrated uh, here in David's life as well sometimes as our own lives. All right, verse 3, he's, he talks about how there's no soundness in his flesh because of God's anger, and there's no rest in his bones because of his sin. So David here is dealing with some kind of sickness. Uh, it could be you know, that he can't sleep and that he's... Um, ill and tired because of the restlessness of his mind, because of all that he's done. Uh, But I think it's probably more than that. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher uh, with Love Worth Finding, uh, he preached a sermon, and I've mentioned it before. It's called The High Cost of Low Living, and it's about this episode in David's life. And he believes that David had venereal disease uh, because of verse 7, where he talks about his loins are filled with a loathsome disease, or it talks about uh, other translations may use the word inflammation. Uh, and so he thinks that David had some kind of STD as a result of his sin. Now, that's speculation. We don't know that for sure, but we can definitely ascertain from this passage that he is dealing with some kind of illness and that he is not well physically or mentally or emotionally. And so we see here that he is not well. He talks about his wounds stinking. 
Uh, he talks about being feeble and sore broken. Uh, so he's not in good shape. Uh, and probably the main problem is guilt. A guilty conscience is what's really bothering him. He mentions that in verse 4. He says, For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. The NIV says there, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And guilt is a crushing burden that can really uh, disable us and and zap all the uh, vitality and and uh, joy out of our lives. And that's what it was doing for David. Uh, Adrian Rogers, that I mentioned before, he used to say that uh, there are two wounds that that uh, are hard to uh, hard to heal, and those are the the wounds of guilt and the wounds of bitterness. And guilt is what David was dealing with here. Um, And he was not able to go on and move forward until he dealt with it. And that's what this psalm is about. It's about him dealing with this guilt so that he can put it behind him and move forward. Verse 6, he talks about he's troubled and bowed down greatly. He goes mourning all the day long. And so you just see the uh, crushing weight of the guilt upon David. You see it's affecting every part of his life. It's affecting his health. It's affecting his mental well-being. He can't be productive even though he tries to work and do things throughout the day. He's uh, just consumed by what is happening. And he it just takes over his life. And he is just bowed down under the pressure and the guilt and just the consequences of this um, of this sin. All right, let's look uh, at another quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he says, "Nothing so pulls a man down from all loftiness as a sense of sin and of divine wrath concerning it." And so, guilt can really disable you. It can really uh, affect your life, and. Uh, I think sometimes that is why our society is so sick uh, and so troubled uh, is because it is not dealt effectively with sin. Uh, When society rejects God, they still have the sin problem, but since they've rejected God, they're not dealing with the sin problem. They're not allowing God to forgive them and bring healing, and so they turn to self-destructive behaviors and things just continue to spiral out of control. And I think that's where we're at as a society. In verse 9, David says, Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. And so the Lord sees all. The Lord knows what David's going through. He knows what he did. He knows the desires in David's heart. He hears his uh, groaning and sighing. Uh, he knows everything. And so, and David is wise to recognize that, that, that the Lord sees all, the, all of this and he knows what is happening. So we can't hide anything from the Lord. Um, and so David is coming to God and starting to confess and open up and seek that healing that he so sorely needs. 
Verse 10, he says that my heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. You know, you've, you may wonder, well, what does that mean? The light of mine eyes is gone from me. I think it's talking about his hope. Uh, he's lost the joy and the hope of life. And so he's just enduring. He's miserable and he's just enduring and just barely getting through the day. Um, you know, you've talked, you've heard that, that phrase, the sparkle in someone's eye, and you can tell when they just light up with joy and excitement and they have that look in their eye. Well, David had lost that. He had lost all joy and hope and, uh, he, he was just miserable. And, uh, I think that's what he's describing there. Verse 11, he talks about how his loved ones and his friends are deserting him and, uh, standing afar off. And so at a time when he needs them the most, they're kind of leaving him. Um, and, you know, that's a difficult thing. Uh, there was a time in my life when uh, I felt like my friends uh, did that at a time when I really needed them. And it's very painful to go through. And you wonder, well, why are they doing that? They should be there for me. Uh, and we've probably all experienced that. But David... You know, at a time when he really needed them the most, they were deserting him. Spurgeon says, Whatever affection they might pretend to, they kept out of his company, lest as a sinking vessel often draws down boats with it, they might be made to suffer through his calamities. So his friends probably saw that David was heading downward as far as, uh, you know, his circumstances, that he was suffering, and they probably knew and were aware that it was his own fault. And so they probably left him because they didn't want to get caught up in the mess and they didn't want to suffer personally for his mistakes. After all, it was David's own fault. And so oftentimes that's what happened. If, you, if you're going through good times and things are well, then people flock to you and they want a part of those good times. But if you're going through bad times, oftentimes people will leave uh, because they're not wanting to go through bad times with you. And so that's kind of just the, uh, that's just human nature. All right, uh, let's look at verse, uh, well, let's look at verse 12 and 13. It says, They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous sayings and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. So not only was David dealing with friends that had deserted him, but he was dealing with enemies that wanted to hurt him and were uh, slandering him and and speaking things against him. And so uh, he really didn't have a friend uh, uh, around him. Uh, maybe Nathan was his only friend who had the courage to confront David. but So David is all alone. And he says that he's pretending not to hear these things. Uh, he's not listening to all these things that people are saying about him. And he's not responding. He's not speaking up, trying to defend himself. Um, Charles Spurgeon says, Well and bravely this was done. A sacred indifference to the slanders of malevolence is true courage and wise policy. 
Perhaps the psalmist means that this deafness on his part was unavoidable because he had no power to answer the taunts of the cruel, but felt much of the truth of their ungenerous accusations. That is, that David probably knew that they were right in what they were saying, at least some of it, and that he knew it was his own fault and they were just speaking the truth, although they were doing it cruelly and and uh, maliciously. Uh, it was hard for David to respond because he knew that they were they were right in some aspects. Uh, Spurgeon goes on to say, David was bravely silent and herein was eminently typical of our Lord Jesus, whose marvelous silence before Pilate was far more eloquent than words. To abstain from self-defense is often most difficult and frequently most wise. So you remember Jesus when he was on trial and when he was being accused falsely uh, was silent oftentimes and did not respond uh, and so uh, David was doing the same, but the difference between David and Jesus was that David was guilty, whereas Jesus was innocent. Okay, let's look at verse 15. Uh, here we see David's hope and his faith. It says, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. So David uh, really turns to the Lord here and he's putting his hope in him and he's regaining his faith and he, he's confident that God will hear his prayer. And so uh, this is what David needs to do at this point. Um, he's taking the wise course of action. He can't change the past, uh, but he can make the most of what's left and that's what he's doing here. Charles Spurgeon says, Hope in God's intervention and belief in the power of prayer are two most blessed stays to the soul in time of adversity. We shall find the richest solace in waiting upon him. And then I love this quote here. Reputation like a fair pearl may be cast into the mire, but in due time when the Lord makes up his jewels, the godly character shall shine with unclouded splendor. Rest then, O slandered one, and let not thy soul be tossed to and fro with anxiety. You know, David's reputation was pretty much shot at this point, but you think about uh, how he appears now, and the Bible refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And we see his flaws in Scripture, but we also see all the things he did right, and we see how much he loved the Lord. And so it's important to not just look at a person in, you know, a snapshot, but to take uh, the whole picture. Uh, and with David, yeah, this is a, a pretty dark time in his life, but it, it was just part of his life. It wasn't the whole of his life, and he did a lot of things right. And so we have to, to look at the whole picture. And David's reputation was, I would say, uh, restored, and uh, he recovered from this, although he would suffer very serious consequences uh, from this episode. All right, let's look at verse 16. David says, For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. So he talks about his foot slipping, and he, he says these enemies of his are just waiting for him to fall. They're they're out to get him. It's like, you know, sharks circling in the water and they just are ready to pounce on him and attack him. 
And so he has to be careful to not make a mistake uh, because they will use anything against him. And he's already given them plenty of ammunition. Um, And in fact, God um, refers to that uh, in um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, I believe it is. Uh, He refers to the fact that uh, David had allowed... Um, well, it says there in Second Samuel twelve fourteen, howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, uh, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And so, God, uh, David, excuse me, David had given ammunition to his enemies, uh, and God said that one of the punishments for David would be that the child born between Bathsheba and David would die. Okay. um, Spurgeon says, the least flaw in a saint is sure to be noticed. Long before it comes to a fall, the enemy begins to rail. The merest trip of the foot sets all the dogs of hell barking. How careful ought we to be and how persistent in prayer for upholding grace. We do not wish like blind Samson to make sport for our enemies. Let us then beware of the treacherous Delilah of sin by whose means our eyes may soon be put out. And what he's saying there is as Christians, as believers, we have to be careful to uh, maintain our witness in front of the world uh, because the world is looking for any kind of flaw or sin or shortcoming, and they're going to use that against us. They're going to use that as an excuse not to believe in the Lord, and they're going to use that to hurt us. And so we are being watched by the world, and we do have to be careful in how we uh, behave. He brings up Samson here. And if you know that story, it's a, it's a sad story. Samson was a very strong man and he had um, he, he was raised up by God as a judge uh, to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And he did some great uh, things, some mighty uh, things, um, feats of strength, you know, things like that. Uh, you know the story. But he fell into sin with the woman named Delilah, uh, who was a picture of an evil woman. And she was working for the Philistines or with the Philistines and betrayed Samson. And Samson was, he had his eyes put out. He was put in chains and his enemies mocked him and made sport of him. And it was just a humiliating scene. If you've read that story, you just feel so bad for Samson. You you just see how humiliating it was for him and how defeating it was for him. Uh, and But we know in the end that he had an act of faith and he was able to pull down those pillars and, and um, kill all those Philistines. But we see the cost of sin in Samson's life. And so we see how the enemies of God will use whatever they can against us. And so we have to be careful. That's the point that uh, here that he's trying to make. Verse 17, David says, for I'm ready to halt or I'm ready to fall. 
and my sorrow is continually before me. So, I mean, David's worn out. He's ready to just give up. He's discouraged. He's depressed. And he's, he's just like, I don't know how I can go on. And that's kind of the point where David is. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We all have to be careful because any of us can fall at any time. And uh, David had already fallen, but here he's about to fall from just exhaustion and discouragement and and just the weight of his sin and guilt. But we have verse 18, which is uh, very encouraging here. In verse 18, David says, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. You know, some people don't get to that point. Some people sin, but they don't ever come to verse 18. But thank God that David did come to that point. Uh, Adrian Rogers said that David was a great sinner, but he became a great repenter. And he did repent of his sin. And here he confesses it. And he says that he's sorry for it. And there has to be that contrition and that confession and forsaking of the sin in order for there to be forgiveness and restoration. Uh, We can't come to God for restoration and forgiveness and stay in the sin or refuse to acknowledge it. And I think in a way that's where our society is at, is that they want to have fellowship with God, but without forsaking the sin and without acknowledging the sin. But David recognized that he was a sinner and that he needed forgiveness. I want to read uh, briefly Psalm 32.5. Psalm 32.5, it's a similar verse. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So that's a great verse there. It's very similar to what we read here in Psalm 38. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, uh, well, in that, in that chapter, you have Nathan the prophet come to David, and he confronts David about his sin. And David has the right response uh, in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen. It says, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then uh, Nathan tells David that uh, the Lord has put away his sin and he shall not die. And so I think we can be thankful for Nathan that he had the courage to confront David. One wonders, would David have repented had, had Nathan not repented? confronted him. So we, we see the necessity of a friend like Nathan that will tell the truth to us and confront us when we're in error and when we're in sin. And we see David's proper response when he, you know, David could have gotten mad and, at Nathan. He could have rejected what Nathan said, but David responded humbly and and admitted that he had sinned. And so Second uh, Samuel 12 is a uh, things start to turn around and and head back in the right direction. You've heard that saying that confession is good for the soul. And confession does heal a lot of our uh, problems. Uh, you know, David was miserable. He was, uh, he felt ill. 
And he was just having all kinds of problems physically, mentally, emotionally. And once he confessed his sin, he was able to move forward and kind of recover from this misery that he was had been going through. Uh, you know, I think about uh, times in U.S. history when American presidents have done something wrong. Maybe they've broken the law. Maybe they've had some kind of uh, personal sin like David. And there's a variety of responses by the president. Sometimes the president will admit it and say he was wrong and ask for forgiveness. Other times the president may um, ignore it or try to cover it up or deny it, lie about it. And uh, usually if the president will just come clean and admit the wrongdoing, the American people tend to forgive him and put the matter behind, uh, behind them. But whenever they try to cover it up or deny it, that's when the president gets into trouble. And so confession is always a good idea. Uh, confession to the Lord. Uh, you know, there's a verse in, um, the, in James that talks about um, confessing our faults uh, one to another. Um, in James chapter 5 and verse 16, um, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, primarily and first of all, we need to confess our sins to God. Uh, he is the one that we confess our sins to. But sometimes it's therapeutic and helpful to talk with a trusted friend that we know uh, that we can confide in and they can help us work through things as well. Uh, confessing to a friend or a loved one does not bring forgiveness, but it does help us in the healing process. Um, so confession is good for the soul. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so we see that illustrated perfectly in this psalm with David. Uh, whenever he was covering up his sin or ignoring it, not dealing with it, he was miserable and things were not going well for him and he was not prospering at all. But once he confessed it and forsaked it, forsook it, then he began to receive mercy and healing, and he was able to move forward. All right. Spurgeon says, um, It is well not so much to bewail our sorrows as to... Ne- as to denounce the sins which lie at the root of them. A man is near to the end of his trouble when he comes to an end with his sins. So that just kind of goes along with what we've been uh, saying already. All right, let's look at verses 19 through 20. Uh, He says, But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. So again, he talks about his enemies here. And uh, we have enemies. As believers in the Lord, we're going to have enemies. Uh, The world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, we're going to have people that don't like us uh, following the Lord uh, for whatever reason. And so we need to to realize that. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. 
because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we have an enemy that the Bible describes as a roaring lion who's trying to devour us, and that would be the devil. And so we have to be on guard. And David had let down his guard. He was not where he was supposed to be. He should have been at battle with his men, but instead he was lounging around in bed on his roof, and he became susceptible to sin because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He let his guard down. Spurgeon says, With such lively and vigorous enemies, we must not cease to cry mightily unto our God. We are no match for our enemies in strength, so also they outnumber us a hundred to one. Wrong as the cause of evil is, it is a popular one. And that is such a, a true statement uh, that when you decide to follow the Lord and when you decide to do the right thing, you need to recognize that you're going to be in the minority. You're not going the direction the world's going. So you're going to be outnumbered and oftentimes you're going to stand alone and you just have to expect that it's not easy to do the right thing. It's not easy to serve the Lord. That's why there's so many that follow the way of the world because it's in the short run, it's easier because you're going with the flow. But in the long run, it's a disaster. And so uh, it requires patience to follow the Lord as you feel that pressure from the world. They're trying to conform you into the world's image, but you're being conformed uh, unto Christ and his image. And so we have to be on guard and we have to recognize that we will not be popular for following the Lord, and we will be outnumbered oftentimes. Although the Bible does say that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So God is more powerful than any thing that we find in the world, but that doesn't mean that we won't suffer uh, persecution and um, be ostracized for our faith. Okay. Verses 21 and 22, we come to the conclusion of the, the psalm. And these are great verses. And just like verse 1 is a prayer that you can pray, uh, verse 21 and 22 is also a prayer that you can pray. And, and we talk about that a lot as we go through these psalms, that there's so many verses that are prayers that you can use in your own life. And these are definitely, these two verses are definitely a prayer that you can use. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Beautiful verses there, and a great prayer that David closes with. Uh, and he's just asking God for help. He's asking God to be near. Don't forsake me, Lord. Be near to me. Uh, make haste to help me. He's asking God, you know, do it soon because I need your help now. And he calls the Lord, the Lord of my salvation, uh, or O oh Lord, my salvation. And so we see David is a believer, even though he's fallen, even though he's sinned, he is a believer. So just because you fall, and just because you sin doesn't mean that you're not a believer. David was a believer. He knew the Lord, but he made a, a sin. He sinned. He made a, a serious mistake, several of them, in fact. Uh, but God was able to forgive him when he turned back to him and confessed it. So this psalm ends on that hopeful note. And we see the goodness of God. I mean, God did not have to to be so gracious to David, but he was. You know, the Bible talks about the sure mercies of David. 
And God was very merciful to David and very gracious to him. We see the goodness here of God. Second Chronicles 7, 3 says, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I want to read one more quote from Charles Spurgeon before we close. He says, Now is the time I need you most, when sickness, slander, and sin all beset a saint. He requires the especial aid of heaven, and he shall have it too. Withhold not the light of your near and dear love. Reveal yourself to me. Stand at my side. Let me feel that though friendless besides, I have a most gracious and all-sufficient friend in you. And that's a great point, that though we may be alone, and though our friends may desert us, if we turn to God in faith and in repentance, we have a friend in, in Jesus. He says, See how sorrow quickens the importunity of prayer. Faith foresees the blessed issue of all her pleas, and in this verse begins to ascribe to God the glory of the expected mercy. We shall not be left of the Lord. His grace will help us most opportunely. A sense of sin shall melt into the joy of salvation. Grief shall lead on to gratitude, and gratitude to joy unspeakable and full of glory. So if you're listening to this and maybe you're not a believer, I would encourage you to turn to the Lord, put your faith in Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. He loves you. He wants to save you. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so put your faith in him, call upon him for salvation and forgiveness and mercy, and he will save you. If you're a believer already and maybe you've sinned and fallen like David, maybe it's a small sin, maybe it's a big sin. Only God knows. But you can find forgiveness like David did. You can turn back to the Lord. Confess your sin, forsake it. Seek his mercy. And there is forgiveness and restoration in Christ. So I want to leave on that positive note, a very hopeful note, that though we sin, the grace of God is bigger uh, when we turn to him. So in conclusion, this psalm, I think is about three things mainly. The cost of sin, the confession of sin, and the cleansing of sin. And we see that in the life of David. And it's also about restored fellowship. At the beginning of this psalm, David felt alienated. He felt distance between the Lord and him. He felt God's anger and wrath upon him. But by the end of the psalm, he is starting to begin that restored fellowship with the Lord. And so it's a very encouraging psalm, very hopeful psalm. Well, I want to wish you a happy Independence Day. I'm recording this on July 3rd. And so I hope you have a a great 4th of July. That's always one of my favorite holidays. I love uh, celebrating America's birthday and um, having, you know, hot dogs and setting off fireworks and enjoying time with family and flying the flag. and It's just a, a fun time. And uh, we, as we celebrate the, uh, the Declaration of Independence and uh, our independence from Great Britain. I also think, though, on this 4th of July, that as we study this psalm, Psalm 38, it's a good reminder to us that Uh, We need to confess our sins as a nation. Our nation has clearly turned from the Lord and has embraced wickedness. And this grieves my heart to see it. 
and things have gotten so out of hand in recent years, and our nation just seems to be in a moral freefall. And so I encourage you to pray for the United States of America on this 4th of July weekend and to seek God's mercy for our nation, to pray that our nation would repent of its wickedness and turn back to God, just like David turned back uh, to God in this psalm. So pray for America and uh, pray for repentance and mercy for our country and healing for our nation. You know, another verse that comes to mind is Second Chronicles chapter 7 and, and verse 14. And you probably heard that verse uh, quoted often. And I know that this was originally written to Israel, but I believe that it could be applicable to America as well. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so that's a wonderful promise from the word of God. And you know, as I think about the condition in our country, as bad as the uh, the sin is and the uh, the wickedness in our nation, the thing that really grieves me is is the condition of God's people. I feel like we as God's people are not doing what we should be doing. Our, the condition of our hearts is not what it should be. And so notice in this verse, he says, if my people, which are called by my name. So here he's talking about Israel, but if you're going to apply it to today, it would be the church, it would be the Christians. They need to humble them. We, I should say, we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray. We need to seek God's face. We need to turn from our wicked ways. And then God will hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. So God's people need to seek him. And just like we talked about in Psalm 38, we talked about confession and forsaking the sin and repenting. That's what we need in our country today. In order to receive God's forgiveness and mercy, there has to be that forsaking of sin and the confession and seeking the Lord's mercy. So pray for the United States of America this 4th of July. But also thank God for this country because we have enjoyed many blessings and freedoms and mercies from the Lord. And we have a a rich heritage and history in this country. And so we also ought to be grateful to God for all that he's done in the past. Well, I want to close uh, with 1 John 1, 9. I thought it would be appropriate since we talked about uh, Psalm 38. So 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank God for that. We can confess our sins and he will forgive us and cleanse us. Praise the Lord. We'll have a blessed uh, weekend. Have a happy 4th of July. May God bless you and have mercy upon you. Thank you for listening.